Where attention goes, energy flows. Now, there is a phrase that changed my life. It might change yours as well. What you do is, is pay attention to what you're paying attention to and watch how your energy flows. What is energy? Why are we even talking about it? It's because when leaders engage it effectively, that's how they move organizations, change cultures, raise energy. Here comes rocket science for leaders. T-minus 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5. All three engines up and burning. 2, 1, 0, and liftoff. Well, there it is, the sound of a rocket taking off, the launch. And today that means another edition of our podcast, Rocket Science for Leaders. I'm Uri Chapman. You know, in fact, leadership is not rocket science. It's actually much harder and more complex. But it also follows some simple rules. Let's take an example. One day I approached a, a radiologic technologist at Baptist Hospital, and I asked him, tell me about your work. And he said, well, I'm just a button pusher. Maybe he was trying to be humble, but how people think about their jobs impacts their brain chemistry, and that in turn can affect patient care. So how do I feel about my job if I'm just a button pusher? Back to that phrase where attention goes, energy flows. So here's, here's my energy. I'm, I'm saying, well, what do I do? I'm just a, a button pusher. How do I feel? How's my energy if I think of the complexity of the machine I'm operating, of the frightened patient that's under my care? It turns out that burnout is both a psychological and a physiological condition, just as much as depression and fatigue. So as with other areas or other aspects of science, both can be measured. If you're feeling like an automaton, you have a higher burnout rate than people who think of themselves and their work as people pursuing a calling. If I believe I'm called to serve patients and that part of my service is to ensure they recover, that they heal, the light goes up. And what about the light? When you as a leader walk into a room, what do you suppose happens to the energy in that room? So picture that for a moment and turn it around. You're sitting in a room and the person that you report to in a hospital or hospice where you're working comes into the room. Did your energy go up or down? You put your attention on that person. Did your energy go up or down? Did you think to yourself, I'm so glad to see that person. He or she inspires me. I'm feeling better about my work. Or did you think, ugh, here comes that person. Can't stand him. I got to pretend like I like him or her, but I don't. The way a nurse enters a room to give her patient a shot has an impact before the nurse says a word. Imagine that you're a patient and you're lying in your bed and you're feeling both pain and anxiety. In fact, you're not sure which is worse, the anxiety or the pain. In any case, your doctor has ordered that you be given a shot and you're waiting for the shot, and your anxiety is going higher and higher. Now in through the room comes the nurse. And you're thinking, okay, here comes a relief. But when the nurse enters the room, you can see she's very concerned. She's fussing with the needle, and you see the needle. And you feel what? Your anxiety is getting worse. The nurse has not done anything yet. 
but her demeanor, her approach, the anxiety on her face is beginning to make you feel worse. That is what leaders need to note. The way a leader enters the room can raise or lower energy. In the case of the nurse, researchers have studied what happens to patients' blood pressures, galvanic skin response, and heart rate when a nurse walks into the room before the nurse says a word. So, how do leaders move the energy and the brain chemistry of billions of people? That is not an exaggeration. There are leaders in this world that can change the energy of hundreds of millions, even billions, when they appear on a screen, when they make a speech, when their presence is known. So, a single bomb can kill millions. A single leader can kill or save. Contrast the power of one being, a Hitler, a Jesus. So, loving leadership starts with a single scientific and spiritual principle, live, love, not fear. Think of the chemical changes that are going on in your body right now. Think of the brain synapses that are firing. Think of the way you are feeling as my words enter your ears. The magnificence of your mind is literally filtering and interpreting each word, sentence, and idea. Some of what I say may actually alter your thinking and thus impact your brain chemistry. If I'm not doing this well enough, your brain chemistry may start moving towards sleep. So my job is to try to hold your attention so that you can help launch the rocket of your energy and change the lives of the people with whom you work for the better. This whole thing is scientific because it's possible to calibrate the impact of fear on human brain chemistry. And it's also possible to evaluate the effect of loving leadership. History shows that fear-based leadership is easier to practice by shouting orders, but it's less effective over the long term. That fear-based leadership does not bring out the best for caregivers, and that loving leadership does bring out the best. Again, we work through this loving leadership because it's complex, it's sophisticated, and it's the single most effective way to lead. Think of fear as destructive. Think of love as constructive. Imagine our early example, the MRI technologist engaging nuclear energy, how it can be used for good or ill. It can take months to create a great piece of art. It can take less than a second for a terrorist to destroy it. It takes 18 years for a newborn to become an adult. In a split second, that life can be destroyed. But these energies of love and fear, they're not black and white, as I've implied. In life and death situation, fear's adrenaline can be an ally. Wrongly expressed, twisted love can be an enemy. So here's the question for you. How do you raise the light? How do you guide your approach, your voice, your demeanor, your presence, your language? How do you as a leader change those things, adapt those things, use your best energy to raise the light? I want to talk with you a little bit more about this idea of how we raise or lower the light in the hearts of those we lead when we enter the room. You know you feel better or feel worse you know you think better or think in a more confused way depending upon the energy of the leaders that lead you. So how do we change the signals we're sending? What is this demeanor we're talking about? 
And in order to get to that answer, here comes another important question, very personal to you. What is your best self? When you are at your best, what does that look like? Now, you can try that out in a bunch of different settings uh, by asking, who are you with your children, if you have children? Uh, who are you with your spouse, uh, with your friends? Who are you in the different ways you relate to the world? When are you at your best? What does that look like? Now, who are you when you're leading? Some people change personalities or bring out a different side of their personality. So if your idea of being a leader is to be a boss who's controlling, you will bring a certain kind of energy into the room, and that energy can terrify your staff. I want to give you an example of a leader who changed her staff in a particular way. It happened like this. I was talking with a director, in, not the director, but one of the directors in the nursing department of Baptist Hospital. When I was the CEO there, I was only six months into the job, and I'm standing with that assistant director. Her pager went off back in the days when we had pagers rather than cell phones. And I saw her look at the number and reach for her stomach and say, oh. I said, what is it, Liz? And she said, well, you know, it's, we'll call her Jane. It's Jane's extension, and every time I see her extension, my stomach hurts. Imagine that, just seeing a number and her stomach hurts. Imagine this situation. Here you are, an assistant director in a department of nursing, and you see the extension number of your boss, and your whole self tightens up, and you feel fear rising, and your heart rate goes up, and it's all because of what? The demeanor, the approach, the presence, the energy of your boss. Now, we can all say, I'm not going to be influenced by what somebody else says. I'm not going to let my mood be determined by someone else. That's a great theory, but in fact, we all are influenced by that. In any case, um, this is the director of nursing at the time who's causing this kind of energy to her staff. And when I say causing it, I mean she was a, an admitted high control leader, a boss of the kind that can be very effective in a lot of settings, but does not work in the kind of environment that we're advancing. This is not loving leadership. This is fear-based leadership. Here's a really interesting thing about this story. When I talked to the chief nursing officer about this, and I said to her, you know, I have the sense that your staff is really frightened of you. What do you suppose she said? She said, good. I want them to be scared of me, because if they aren't, they won't obey. Now, that is an honest answer from her, and I respect her for having been candid with me. The single biggest influencer of culture for patients in a hospital after the CEO is the chief nursing officer. So if you're interested in developing a culture of loving care, your senior staff has got to be people who do that. And if you are reporting to someone who is not approaching you that way, you have to figure out how to develop your own light in a way that will advance and energize the loving care that you want. Remember always. What is the goal? It's to provide the best possible human experience for the patients you care for, for the staff you work with, for 
families to provide the best possible human experience. That means balancing compassion and competence. Watch out for people who think of compassion as just that touchy-feely stuff. Because that means touchy-feely, that means, eh, yeah, it doesn't matter very much. In fact, think about the mother test. You know, this mother test that we use in radical loving care work, this mother test means not just, you know, you want someone who uh, would take care of your mother the way you want them cared for. It means you want everybody on your staff to be someone who would care for your mother the way you'd like. Now, I'm assuming you like your mother. If you don't, think of somebody else you do love and imagine what kind of care you would want for them. And now ask yourself this tough question. Do you have anybody on your staff that you would not want caring for your mother? Anybody? Think through it carefully. If your mom came into the hospital and no one knew it was your mom, is there anyone you would not want caring for her? If so, why are they there? And on the positive side, if you have someone you do want taking care of your mom, they're really terrific at it, what are we doing to reward and honor and celebrate that person, holding them up as an example of the way we want loving care to be given? So raise the light, lower the light. Raise the light, lower the light. Increase energy by your presence, by the way you encourage people, by the way you bring your best self. And by best self, we are inviting you to bring into your culture, the culture where you work each day, your best self. That means tough-minded, tender-hearted. That's Martin Luther King's phrase. So this doesn't mean just being kind and sweet all the time. It means being tough and firm and strong. So think about how to put those two aspects, just those two, into balance. Your strong, firm ability balanced with your caring and kind and compassionate heart. This next thing I'm going to say is not about alcoholism, but the subject leads us to why most of us don't change. You know, this pattern change is so difficult. If you have been leading in a particular way, um, let's say you've been a high control leader. Let's say you, your only idea of how to lead was I'm the boss and you're not, and you're working for me and you're going to do what I say. Now, there may be circumstances, emergencies, for example, when you have to sort of call out the orders. But for the most part, uh, loving leadership is about this balance of tough-minded, tender-hearted, and I cannot give you an exact calibration of that. That's the thing about being a leader. It calls upon you to use your best judgment to bring out your best self for the situation. So why was I even mentioning alcoholism? It's because, uh, it's because this is pattern change. And pattern change to become a more loving leader, even if you already are one, means developing new practices and new approaches. It starts with recognizing the need to make that change. What blocks that? Denial. So when I was in divinity school, a classmate uh, shared her struggle with alcohol. She said, I knew I was drinking a lot. But I didn't think it was a big problem. I, I started to attend AA meetings because, you know, a friend of mine pressured me. But the more meetings I went to, the more I was sure I wouldn't like those other people. They had problems. I didn't. Maybe I was drinking a lot, but it wasn't too much. I denied that my drinking was a problem. So I, I, was, about, I was about to quit going to AA meetings with all those drunks when a new person joined the group. 
Oh, boy. She was my age. She looked like me. Hardest of all, she had the same drinking pattern that I had. That night, I realized my denial, and it took seeing someone almost exactly like me to recognize that I was in that denial. Gee, I mean, changing any long-held pattern is very difficult. That's why this particular loving care work, which is more challenging and, of course, more effective than fear-based leadership, that's why it requires so much practice. We keep having to practice, and we keep having to use self-care because when we're tired is when we're most likely to kind of lose the balance that we're looking for. So I'll just tell you that self-care is important because through self-care, we're able to keep that balance, to find the kind of rest we need. This thing about control leaders, they do not want to give up control. Just think for a moment about those rude surgeons that you know about if you haven't worked with one directly. These are the, the surgeons that think their anger is justified. So they get mad, they throw instruments, everyone cowers and gets scared and complains, and then somebody will say, like they would occasionally say to me when we had a doctor or a surgeon that was acting like that, they'd say, you know, he's angry, and he, I say he because it usually was a he, uh, throws instruments, but he's such a good surgeon, to which I would say, Oh, no. If he's throwing instruments, I don't care how good he is at cutting. He's not a good surgeon. We don't want that individual practicing in an environment where we're advancing loving care. That means pattern change for that doctor. It means behavior change. It means anger management. Or the CEO needs to do what I have done myself and gotten other CEOs to do. If you have a person whose behavior is inconsistent with the culture of your environment, after providing an opportunity for that individual to grow and change, if the individual will not do it, I don't care if it's a doctor or a first-line nurse or the best physical therapist you've ever seen or a top-notch accountant, that individual has got to go. They will taint the culture. They will destroy the message and the practice of loving care. So, which is harder? Changing from fear-based to loving leadership or for an alcoholic to quit drinking. Both start in the same place, overcoming denial. Face into who you are. Face into it. Determine where you might need to change and improve. Accept that change. Start making pictures of the way you would be if things were different, if you acted differently, if you brought your best self all the time and your best self was someone who was both compassionate and tough-minded and competent. Where attention goes, energy flows. This has been Rocket Science for Leaders, and I'm Erie Chapman, urging and encouraging all of you to live love, not fear. 